The Lifestylist, episode 64, featuring Joe Piazza. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You are listening to a two-part interview with our guest, Joe Piazza. Don't forget to tune in this Friday for part two. Do you, the listener of this podcast, take this show to be your lawfully wedded husband or wife? We're going to find out in today's episode because we're talking to Joe Piazza, author of a fantastic new book called How to Be Married. So Joe is a fantastic guest. This is a really funny episode. Uh, She basically tells the story in her book of how she met a guy in the Galapagos Islands, ended up marrying him three months later, and then spent the first year of her marriage traveling around the world, exploring what marriage means to different people in different cultures. Really funny and fascinating story. So during the course of this year and the book, she interviews hundreds of people, civilians and experts all over the world, and finds out what it takes to create a healthy marriage from the beginning, rather than the current model of trying to fix it once it goes downhill. So there's tons of experts and books about like how to save your marriage, but we talk about how to like create a good marriage from the beginning, rather than have a shitty one that you have to fix later. So some of the things we cover in this episode are as follows. The different customs in different countries and cultures when it comes to marriage, such as arranged marriages in India, open marriages in France, and polygamy in Kenya. Joe goes into some great detail about how the different people around the world approach marriage and monogamy and all of those types of things and discovers what works for people and what does not. We also talk about some of the weirdest customs she discovered in her journey. Very fascinating stuff. And then we ask the question, the proverbial question, is the Western American model of marriage realistic? You know, the whole part, till death do us part, is that really like, uh, is that something we can actually follow through with? And where did that come from? Turns out that you'll be quite surprised as to the origin of that part of our marriage vows and why it was put in there in the first place. How important it is to have the same financial habits and values. You do not want to get married to someone that does not spend or save in the same way that you do, or you're probably going to end up having a divorce. And also the same goes for discussing how you want to raise your kids and even how you want to give birth to those kids and the type of process that you want to take place from the beginning of their life through their adulthood. What are some of the most common mistakes people make when selecting a mate? How do long-distance relationships work, and why do they sometimes have a better chance due to the fact that you don't get to go crazy having sex with each other and make stupid decisions? And how long does it take to really get to know someone? I mean, really get to know them. That question will be answered. And how important is it that your lifestyle, interest, and preferences align? You know, do you have to have the same hobbies? It turns out Joe's husband, Nick, was like a huge outdoors person, and she hated that, and she was from the city, and then she sort of learned to adapt to that to a degree, but maybe not to the degree that he's into it. And he's had to make some compromises too. So what are the things that we should be compromising on or not? How do we deal with our petty differences and get used to living with someone? And then what about the whole idea of monogamy? You know, is that actually realistic and can we do it? And some of the most important communication tools. Uh, Joe talks about something in her book that we explore called the five minute exercise, which is genius. 
And then finally, we get into the whole piece about how does modern feminism fit into a healthy long-term relationship? And how do you keep that polarity of the masculine and feminine going while still remaining equals? One great thing that she learned along the way that I really love and we talk about in this episode is a woman she met in one of those countries and the woman's advice to her, and she'd been happily married for a long time, was let the man lead. Let him think he's in charge. If you decide to allow it, then you are the one in charge, which I thought was really cute and actually probably pretty smart. So we talk a lot about that and just how we can get along and create equality, but still have a dynamic, interesting relationship. So if you are someone who's planning on getting married soon or someday, this is an episode you want to listen to because Joe brings tons of value to this interview and I'm really excited to share it with you and I hope that it enriches your life and enables you to find and stay with the one that you love for as long as it's meant to be. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi.com. Really excited about this product. I've been using it for a few months and I've got to say they are revolutionizing the green juice game. So you probably know that green juice is good for you, right? We see them like in 7-Eleven now and airport convenience stores. That's awesome. I'm all for it. But there's a couple of issues with green juice that I find troubling. A is a lot of times they come in plastic. B, they're loaded with sugar up to 25 grams sometimes, which is insane. That's like a green Coke. But the main thing is they're just really in convenient. They're not good for travel. Organifi has solved that problem by creating these single serving packets of a really easy to mix, easy to use green juice superfood blend. It's loaded with 11 superfoods. It's got chlorella, wheatgrass, spirulina, mint, turmeric, moringa, ashwagandha, lemon, beets, matcha green tea, coconut water. Best of all, it's sweetened with monk fruit, which is a really low glycemic sugar. So it's not going to spike your blood sugar, which essentially drains you of energy, makes you crash, and ultimately could also make you fat because you don't want to be having a high sugar drink. It just is not good. So these guys make this amazing tasting, super powerful green juice powder. It also comes in a tub if you just want to have one at home. It's by far the tastiest one that I've found. There's a lot of superfood green blends around. And to be honest, a lot of them just taste gross and they don't mix well and they're just not convenient to travel with. You'd have to like make a Ziploc bag full of some green powder. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to be traveling through the airport security and get caught with one of those. So if you want to check it out, I highly recommend that you do. And I've also got a little discount for you, of course. All you do is go to Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I, Organifi.com. Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and you will save 20% off your order. It's a pretty sweet deal. So again, go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST and you will save 20%. Check it out. A massive part of my health strategy is the ingestion on a regular basis of medicinal herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And my primary source for those is a company called Four Sigmatic. If you remember way back in the day in episode eight, I had a guest by the name of Taro Isakapula from this company. And we talked all about the power of these amazing herbs and mushrooms. Well, Four Sigmatic do a great job of making them not only potent, but also convenient and delicious. So they make these little packets of herbs that you add to hot water, cold water, or bulletproof coffee, whatever your recipe is. I make them with all kinds of different stuff all the time. It makes a really easy way to get this stuff into your body. And these are herbs that have a real effect on you. It's very powerful stuff. So go to foursigmatic.com, but wait, I'm gonna hook it up. When you get to foursigmatic.com, Enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout to save 15% off your order. So you can get things like reishi mushrooms, chaga mushrooms, cordyceps, lion's mane, ashwagandha, all the good stuff that really works. So go to foursigmatic.com, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST, and save 15% off your order. 
Joe Piazza is an award-winning journalist and best-selling co-author of the novel The Kickoff. Her work has appeared in The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, New York Magazine, Glamour, Elle, Time, Marie Claire, The Daily Beast, and Slate. She's also the author of the critically acclaimed Celebrity, Inc., How Famous People Make Money, and If Nuns Ruled the World, Ten Sisters on a Mission. She holds an undergraduate degree in economics from the University of Pennsylvania, a master's in journalism from Columbia University, and a master's in religious studies from New York University. She lives in San Francisco with her husband, Nick, and their giant dog. Welcome to The Lifestylist, Joe. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk to you and actually see you. That's why I love recording video. If you're listening to this on iTunes, please get over to YouTube and watch it because you get to see us having a sort of real conversation. I guess it's a virtual one because it's on <laughs> Skype. But we've emailed uh, together a bit. And of course, I, know, I, and I had no idea how handsome you are. Oh, thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Flattery will get you everywhere. I'm going to put this podcast to the top of my playlist. <laughs> no, um, but seriously, we've emailed a bit through your relationship with Parsley Health and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and you have this whole other world as an author and all the things that you do, so I'm really excited to talk about your area of expertise and your book. And I love the title of your book, you guys. It's called How to Be Married, What I Learned from Real Women on Five Continents About Surviving My First Really Hard Year of Marriage. And it's a fantastic story. You're a great writer. You're super funny, so I'm so excited to sit down and talk to you about this. I'm excited to talk to you about it. This has become my favorite subject. I bet it has. And let's just start out by saying, like, I'm assuming you're still married, right? I'm still married. I'm still married. <laughs> okay, my, still, my, hus- still- my husband might walk by at some point. He's, okay, great. Yeah. We'll, tell, yeah. we'll have him say hi to you. He'll do so jazz you're hands. Still, you're still with Nick because, like, how much would that suck if you write this amazing book about, like, you know, how to have a successful marriage and then after that first year and you write the book, then it tanks, you know, that would suck. That would totally suck. But, you know, I'll bet the press would be really great. Like, I feel like I would immediately go to the New York Times bestseller list just for being an asshole. That's true, actually. That's one good way to think about it. Maybe you could, you guys could like falsify a divorce just to like get more press on the book. Oh, I totally would if I weren't six months pregnant right now. <laughs> oh, you're pregnant? <laughs> oh, yeah. You and Robin. That's funny. Yeah. Did Robin have her baby yet? Or speaking did. of a prior guest, Robin um, uh, Bearsen from Parsley Hill. She had her baby? She had her baby three weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. And so okay, I'm, cool. I'm due in June and I'm going to be on book tour seven months pregnant and well into my third trimester. So I need Nick to be around right now just to help me like stand up sometimes. So you guys have to hold it together at least that long. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm sure based on your book that this is going to be a long and fruitful marriage. So you meet this guy in the Galapagos Islands and marry him three months later. I'm just giving the audience, you know, up to speed on the premise of the book here. Then you spend the first year of your marriage traveling around the world with your husband, Nick, exploring what marriage means to people in different cultures. And so you interviewed like hundreds of people, civilians, experts, everyone on like how to create a healthy marriage from the beginning rather than trying to fix it once it's going south. Is that the basic idea? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, every book out there about how to be married was about a marriage that was already broken, that there were already problems in. And I wanted to create something really great from the very beginning. I had had no good role models. I had no idea how to do this. I was a little bit terrified of being someone's wife. So I, and when I get nervous, I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist since I was 17 years old. So I report my way out of things and I write my way out of things. And I'm like, I can figure this out if I just talk to enough people. 
And I was a travel editor, so I was so blessed that I was able to take this journey around the world. I mean, this wasn't like, oh, I got a book advance and I got to travel all over the place. Um, I was working while I was doing it. Okay, I was I was wondering that too because I'm like, God, did they have like a, like, a really just, nice nest egg? Are they, they just, were just really just like, cool. rich yeah. jerks? Yeah, that's that's cool. Okay, so you were actually working as you went, and did mm-hmm. your work uh, dictate what continents and countries you went to? Which continents and countries I went to kind of dictated my work for a year, which I can say, which I can say now that Yahoo Travel doesn't exist anymore. Um, oh, okay, I see. Yeah, I was choosing, I was choosing what trips I was going to cover, what areas I was going to report on, based on things that I knew I wanted to cover in the book. And then there were some some surprises in there too. But I, kn- I knew that I wanted to be in Israel. I knew that I wanted to be in Africa. I knew that I wanted to be in France. Um, and then I got thrown a couple. Of Curveballs. I had no idea that uh, in Qatar, I was going to get some of the best marriage advice that I got through the whole book while dune bashing on the border of Saudi Arabia um, with this guy. I, li- I actually liked, I liked that part too. And the advice that your it was like your dune buggy driver or whatever was giving you. I was like, that's really good advice. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Exactly. Then, I was like, wow. And then, he's... and then Nick was like, yeah, cool. Sounds good. But don't go into Saudi Arabia. I remember that too. <laughs> exactly. I was like, he's either going to give me great marriage advice or he is going to ask my husband for a ransom. What did he? What did he say again? Refresh my memory. I just remember reading that part and be like, "Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, sounds good." That my husband needs to listen to me, and it was it was just <laughs> complete. It was completely counterintuitive to what I expected from this Qatari gentleman in this very conservative society. And he was like, "Oh, I don't want another wife. I can't handle one. I have so many headaches with one." Tell your husband to listen to you. That's and what I'm it like, was. Yeah. Great. Yes. I, that's what it was. It was like that simple advice. And I think, you know, I've interviewed the author John Gray a couple of times. And, I love him. I mean, he blurbed my book. He's great. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, I've learned so much from him. And really, I mean, one of the main points of his message, at least as a man, and there's so much more to it, obviously. I mean, he's just got such a wealth of knowledge. But basically, if I could like say what John Gray's message is to, to my homies, would just be like, dude, just shut up mm-hmm. <laughs> and listen. Just listen to your woman, but not listen just to get her to stop talking. It's not like a gimmick because I've been accused of that. An ex-girlfriend of mine heard my show and was like, oh, so that's why you sit there and listen to me? I'm like, no, it's called being compassionate <laughs> like, you know, and, and not escalating drama that doesn't need to be escalated. It's it's called really being there for you and having empathy. I'm a good guy. But um, yeah, so I love that advice. And that was funny coming from someone in that culture too, because I have a preconceived idea that you know, in a predominantly Muslim, very like patriarchal culture mm-hmm. like that, that guy has five wives and they have to wear a burqa and, you don't, you know, the wife has no rights and they get terribly abused and can't drive a car. I mean, it doesn't sound like much fun to be a female in those cultures. So that was, I think that's what stood out about that guy's input there. Totally. And, you know, I just, I had preconceived notions just blown out of the water throughout this whole reporting process when I was there. And then also when I was in Africa with tribal cultures, who were also incredibly patriarchal, and in Israel within the Orthodox Jewish community. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, like these these ideas are going to be so anti-feminist. It won't fit into this kind of feminist paradigm of marriage that I want to create. And I was wrong. In so many places in a marriage, it is the woman that's kind of taking charge. And it's also so much more give and take, exactly what you just said. It's about listening and communication before things start to go south, before things start to get bad. It's about doing it from the start. That's interesting. Yeah. And I want to get back into your first year because yeah. you had a lot of 
you had a lot of things that could break a couple in the first year, and I definitely I want to start back mm-hmm. at the beginning. But just while we're on this thread, you know, I grew up in a very sort of fragmented, dysfunctional type of family, so I'd never I never got to see like a healthy relationship in growing up. Yeah, you know, same. everyone was everyone was divorced, <laughs> everyone was alcoholics. Like it was uh-huh. just a disaster. And I love my family. God bless them if they ever listen to this. But you know, if you're listening, family, you were fucked up. <laughs> Ditto. But, um, but I have a I have a friend named James, and I always talk about him on the show. Really because it's like he has such a different family experience. He's from the UK. Um, he comes from a, a big Persian Jewish family. And I went over to his house. His dad's wealthy, successful businessman. And he has this beautiful estate in Bel Air. And I went over to their, um, I think it's called Shabbat dinner. Mm-hmm. He goes, every night I'm like, James, let's go to the movies. Let's do this. He's always, it's like, it's taken me years to figure out, no, Shabbat, Luke, Shabbat. I do this family thing. And I went over there and it was interesting because his dad, like in a sense, like wears the pants, and you know, as I said, he's a powerful, successful guy. But if you really observed the dynamic energetically in the home, I think James's mom was really kind of running shit. Mm-hmm. You know what was. I'm saying? It's like yeah. she was like the emotional tone setter, and really the one that's keeping everyone sort of connected, and really kind of like. I don't know, you know, it's it's hard to talk about this without offending someone, but she was like the boss of the house, but mm-hmm. still the dad's the one who's like in some ways the leader of the family, you know? So it was it was yeah. a very interesting observation for me just to watch that dynamic and there really was more of a fluid interplay. There wasn't these set roles where, you know, the wife's just meant to cook dinner and sit down and shut up and the guy's like running shit. It was just it there was a lot of back and forth going on and a lot of mixing of those energies, which was super healthy and just great to witness. That's awesome. Yeah, and but it's also a, a heavy burden, I think, on women to be the ones who are kind of, you know, the silent leaders, the ones who are keeping everything together in a marriage. And this role of quote unquote wife was really daunting to me going into this marriage. I was like, I can hardly take care of myself. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, I was in New York City where everything could be delivered and someone would come and do all of the things that like, a wife would normally do in my apartment. But I had no idea how to take care of another person, much less a family, much less this baby that's going to be here any day now. Well, I, I admire your courage for kind of having that self-knowledge and just doing it anyway, because I've been someone that's been terrified of commitment or terrified of doing it wrong or all that. And here I am 46 and haven't, well, I was married kind of, but not really. So I can't, <laughs> I can't legally talk about, it. but, uh, you know, largely single for most of my life because it's like, well, I might not do it right or I might get hurt. And, and I, I respect the fact that you just were like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to use this as the ultimate learning experience. So in that first year, as you describe, even in the title of your book as being really tough, what were some of the challenges you guys had to face as a couple? Yeah, it was it was really hard. I mean, Nick and I were both on the older side of the spectrum when we got married. I was 35, he was 42. We knew what we wanted, which is why we got married so quickly. But at the same time, I don't think we expected our first year of marriage to be so hard. I knew that I wanted us to try to figure this out. I knew that I wanted to work on this book. I wanted to travel around the world. But during that first year, I moved across the country. I moved from New York, where I'd lived for 13 years, to San Francisco, where I knew absolutely no one except for my husband. <laughs> That's a major move, too. I always call San Francisco, San Francisco is like the whole city is like one borough of New York City. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's and like, it's, a, it's, a, it's not only small, but everyone's like, oh, you're going to San Francisco. It's, it's, it's a city. It's just like New York. It's nothing like New York. No, it is the no. complete opposite of New York. And I had no community here, so it was hard. So I'm leaning on Nick more, more than usual. 
Um, and then I got this really scary medical diagnosis. My, my dad has muscular dystrophy. He passed away of it over the holidays this year. And he was really sick the whole time that Nick and I were together. We were struggling with dealing with a sick parent far away. But then I found out that I also have this gene for muscular dystrophy, which we didn't think that I was going to, going to get. And so we struggled to figure out what does that mean for our marriage if my muscles start deteriorating, if Nick has to become my caretaker much sooner rather than later, um, if he has to start taking care of me in our 40s as opposed to in our 70s or 80s, which is what we, we had expected. And we had to have big conversations around that and then also big conversations about how we wanted to start our family, knowing that I could pass this gene onto a child. So those are heavy things to all of a sudden Damn. Had yeah. face during not only your first year of marriage, but your first year of knowing each other. Oh, that's I know. I think that's what makes it even crazier. I mean, like the first year of marriage is one thing, but this is the beginning of the relationship and you got married three months in. It's like... I know. It's crazy. It's really yeah. crazy. And then I lost my job. So I had this big time, awesome job as a travel editor that I loved. And then Yahoo just kind of went kapoof. And there it was. So I, all of a sudden, I was also dependent on my husband a little bit more for my income, which I didn't expect. I'd always been so self-sufficient. I'd had my own bank account. I'd paid for everything. And that was really tough. And I think writing this book helped us through all of that because we we're having these conversations as we went along. We were forced to communicate in ways that we wouldn't have had I not been doing this reporting, had I not been like, oh, well, what they do it this way in Chile. They do it this way in France. What do you think of this? And I'm sure it was really annoying for Nick at times. That's what I'm wondering, like how on board with the project was he? Because I'm picturing myself in Nick's shoes. I'm like, can we just like hang out and get to know each other? Without the distraction, like I'm becoming like the subject of a book in this whole project. I just want to like get to know a cool woman and hang out, you know? <laughs> can we just watch Netflix and chill? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Try to get you pregnant? Um, no, I, he was actually totally on board. He's also a journalist. He has a website. Oh, okay. Okay, so he get he gets like the passion for he that particular it. medium. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and from the very beginning, I was writing uh, things about our relationship. I mean, I've been writing about my life for a while, never, never this intimately, never this in depth, but I have been. And so he knew what he was getting into. And I I ran the book idea by him. He's read the thing more than I have probably. And the fact is he's kind of a saint and he comes off really well. Yeah. My, my agent's biggest complaint was that he wasn't more of a jerk. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, do you want me, like, I can try to make him cheat on me. I can try to create this kind of drama. <laughs> and he's just like this good guy who, he loads the dishwasher and only occasionally forgets to put the toilet seat up. So, wow. yeah, wow. he was really he was really mellow and, and went along with it. And th at the end of the day, I think he really enjoyed it, too. And one of the most beautiful things about it that I think he can appreciate is that we have this wonderful record of the first year of our marriage. Because it is a memoir and it gets very personal in addition to being reported. And we'll one day get to show this to our kids and be like, this, this is what life was like in the year before we had you. That's so awesome. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Imagine that for your kid or kids to be able to go. I mean, just the lineage of your whole family to follow. That's really cool. I have a friend that uh, keeps a journal from the time his kids, I think, like two now, but he's kept a journal. Maybe it was even a video journal or something. I forget how he's documenting it, but yeah. essentially he's like, 
explaining to the older self of the kid the whole process of the kid being born, going through infancy into childhood, and I, I think plans to keep doing that. And then at awesome. a certain age, when the kid's whatever, 16, 18, being like, boom, check this out. And he's a, he's a, an author as well, and so I'm sure it's you know done very thoughtfully and artfully. So what a cool idea. I mean, I'm, I'm like as a mid-40s guy always asking my parents like I just found out the other day that I wasn't breastfed actually because I went and did the parsley health um intake and they're oh, right. like, yeah, you we breastfed? Ask. Mm-hmm. and I was like my mom was a hippie of course I probably breastfed till I was fucking 10 years old and I text her and, and she was like um no it was kind of weird for me I didn't do it I was like what <laughs> so I'm always you know I was like thanks a lot no it kind of bummed me out because it could explain some <laughs> some issues. I know, but it goes the other way. I was breastfed till I was like three. Like I could pull it out like on demand and be like, I want this now. And <laughs> right, I think it's right. like a whole other host of attachment issues when you're totally. breastfed too I'm, long. I'm sure. I'm sure. But it, it's it, I, the point being, it's just it's a cool gift. It's such a multifaceted thing that you documented that first year. And and in terms of the kids, it's such a gift because I'm always going back like. Hey, what was it like when? What was it like when? Um, like, I have a love of spring water, and I thank God I got to ask my grandmother about our spring water collecting trips before she died when she was 99, and I got to ask her, and she told me like where she learned it and where they learned it, and it was this whole thing. Awesome. But I, I've had to really do the work to go back and find, you know, my parents' history and how they met and all that. So good on you. Um, okay, the other thing I want to know is, you know, so you meet this guy in the Galapagos Islands. Uh, you're there on an assignment, I'm assuming. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. I was, okay. I was doing. It was an eight day tour, eight or nine day tour, um, and I was doing an assignment just on the Galapagos, on how to go to the okay. Galapagos, how to take adorable pictures with sea lions. Nick was doing something much more serious about ecotourism and sustainability, and okay. um, yeah, there was no Wi-Fi on the boat, so I had no choice but to uh, get the hell off my computer and talk to the other humans, particularly this long-haired California dude who wasn't my type at all. And here's what I want to know about that. Do you believe that it was love at first sight? Did you have an inner knowing that on some karmic or deeper level that I need to get close to this person? Or was it something that built over the course of that trip? It's really interesting because there was this one, it was not a bolt of lightning. There was this one moment where he had first introduced himself to me on on the bus going to the boat and I just remember looking at him and being like this this guy could be important in my life and it was just a flash like this this really quick quick instant and then all of a sudden I was like oh my gosh I'm only going to have the internet for another 30 minutes I have to finish all of my emails and I just kind of blew it off and right. like I said he he wasn't my type at all he's very outdoorsy and you know very serious and he was always running around taking pictures of things and completely ignoring me the entire trip. He's he's smart. If he liked you, then he's got good game. (laughs) I know, exactly. That's the thing. I was like, I was like, the fact that you ignored me was so smart because I definitely wouldn't have been interested in you had you been like walking around and carrying my things for the, for 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Can I hold your purse for you? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so I didn't, I don't think I knew on that trip. I mean, I was, I was interested. And then our second date, we went to Joshua Tree and we went camping and and I think that I knew then at that point. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 just it's interesting because um I mean, I'm just so fascinated by human behavior and psychology. And I just, I don't know, it's just the thing I'm most passionate about is what makes us tick and how we can have a better life and evolve. You know, I'm just into personal development and self-knowledge, which is kind of one of the main points of this show. But I have noticed the difference between men and women in terms of how they fall in love and subjectively with myself is 
Women that, who have claimed to be in love with me in my life said that they knew the moment they saw me. One of them even said, I saw a photo of you, and I was like, that's the guy. Wow. The that's... women that I've been in love with, it's like I've, no, I've known them or dated them for quite a while and think like, nah, I don't know. I'm, you know, like it doesn't really strike me. They're cool. We're just hanging out, whatever. And then all of a sudden, one day, I'm like, oh, shit, what is this? this pit I have in my stomach. I feel all this anxiety and I'm freaking out. And then I tell someone about it and they're like, um, that means you like this girl. <laughs> oh shit. Really? You know, it's like, I'm super, super slow to identify that feeling of, of falling in love with someone. And most guys I know with the exception of a couple are like that too, like pretty slow to wake up to the fact that there's some deeper connection there and that there's some sort of perhaps even unknown or unconscious karmic reason why they're supposed to be in their life. Well, I think both Nick and I had been like that up until meeting each other, which is why it ended up moving so quickly. We both dated a lot of other people in long-term relationships, never considered seriously marrying any of those people. And then all of a sudden, within three months, we're engaged. So while living thousands of miles apart from each other. So it was, in that sense, I was like, oh, okay, when... All the cliches became true. Like when you know, you know, when it's right, it feels good, it feels normal, and it's not hard. And that had never happened to me. After dating all of the wrong men for years and years, I had never felt that sense of, okay, oh, there you are. And that's, that's what I say all the time, that it wasn't like a bolt of lightning. It was more like, oh, there you are. Hello. I've been, I've been waiting for you. Thank you for showing up. That's cool. That's cool. I guess that's that's another piece of it too is that you guys had like a long distance relationship yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm currently in that type of situation and it's very challenging. <laughs> it's really really hard. I've never endeavored to attempt that before and it just, you know, you know how it is just happened. It wasn't like, hey, I'd really like to start to get to know someone that lives across the country, but there you are. And that's, God, in that, so in that first year, that's another challenge then too, is actually like not being able to be together physically all the time then. Yeah, no, we weren't together physically for the first like nine months that we were wow. together. Um, I mean, we were, we were constantly flying back and forth and then we were taking these trips, but we didn't live, right. to, we didn't live together until right before our wedding, like a week before our wedding. It was a huge challenge, but I also think it was good because it forces you to communicate in different ways. And I don't have the secret to a good marriage after all of this. I think that our marriage is definitely better and stronger for having written this book. But one of the best things I know is that communication is going to make or break your marriage. And so figuring out how to communicate over email, not to communicate, how to communicate, how, <laughs> right, right, like what, right. what tone to take or not take in a text message, how often you need to talk, what you need to tell the other person when you're traveling, all of that stuff has to come out during a long distance relationship. And we were forced to, to get to know each other in new and different ways. In the book, I spent a lot of time in Kenya and Tanzania and India, where arranged marriage is still very much a part of the cultures. And in some ways, I compare Nick and I to an arranged marriage because we didn't know each other that well going into it. We had to figure it out after we got married. And in a lot of cultures where marriage is arranged, they actually tend to be happier 
because they don't idealize this partner in a lot of the ways we do here in America. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it lowers the expectations, right? It really, it really <clears throat> does. And, and it They're also, like, ah, well, we'll see. And then it, if it's decent, it's like, holy shit, this is amazing. This, this is, is amazing. amazing. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you're also, you're, you're doing the work from the very beginning as opposed to kind of coasting, 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 and then being like, ah, marriage is hard. All right. Here's what, here's what I want to know. So, when you reveal to your friends and family that I met this guy, we have this thing, you probably don't understand, but we're getting married after three months. Like how many balls were busted uh, by your people and his people going like, this is wrong. We don't support this. Like, Oh God. Did people, did people get on board or was there like a rash of shit coming from, you know, everyone, the, the... everyone thought I was pregnant. Uh, oh, yeah, right. right. <laughs> um, and You're like, no, I have to do it fast. I only have nine months. Yeah, I'm like only a month before I'm showing. No, I mean, I think everyone expected me to walk down the aisle with a baby bump. They were just like, oh, she's just not telling us. But there was a ton of skepticism going into it. And then once people met Nick or once Nick's people met me and once they saw us together, pretty much everyone was on board right away. They're like, oh, yeah, this is right. Like, you guys, you guys nailed it. You, oh, you fi- that's cool. You figured this out. And, That's cool. and we met each other's people relatively quickly. Um, I invited Nick to come to a wedding with me where I was the maid of honor for our fourth or fifth day. Um, so he met yeah. all of my friends. But we were actually, we were engaged before we met each other's parents, which actually kind of felt strangely old fashioned. And our families did not meet until our wedding. Wow. Interesting. How's that going? Um, it's great. It's great. Our moms talk on the phone. They really like oh, each other. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, cool. yeah. Cool. They're they they're really they're they t- they talk a lot. It's the first grandchild for both of them, so they talk a lot about the baby now. Which, oh, they're uh, they're so stoked. Oh, they're you so know they're stoked. you know they're super happy that this has on in, in on one hand like happened quickly too. Know, exactly. They don't they don't have to sit and wonder. I mean, my poor dad is like still like so. Uh, anyone special in your life? Uh, how's that kid thing coming along? I'm like I don't know. You have to talk to my little brothers. Yeah, <laughs> it no, might, it's not, it's not a, me. Might be a long wait. Um, so something that you talk about in the book is in terms of that first year, and then I want to get into for sure like what you found in the different countries mm-hmm. and cultures because that part is just so fascinating. But you talk about this concept called the wet cement year. Yeah. What does that mean? So it's what marriage therapists and marriage experts call the first year of marriage because it's like walking through wet cement. You can still change things and move things. But after that first year, a lot of people's habits generally are very set in stone, which is another reason that it was interesting that we got married before our first year of even knowing each other was over. We were still very pliable in the relationship. We hadn't already set these bad habits, but it really set the tone for how to be married the book generally, because the point of the book was not to create the bad habits to begin with and to go out there and identify the kinds of things that can lead to a successful marriage, figure out what those roadblocks are and make sure that you don't get stuck in this wet cement so that it hardens and makes your marriage more difficult after year one. So in terms of being malleable, in terms of, uh, you know, like your personal preferences and just lifestyle stuff, what have you found to be the things that you can learn how to adapt to? And what are the things that are like total deal breakers? So for example, for me, having the same sort of morals and values is just like, that's totally non-negotiable. There's just, I don't care how much I love someone. If they're not like, if they don't have integrity, if they're not 
a giver and an unselfish person and, you know, just basic fundamental things like that. There's no way a friendship or any kind of romantic relationship is going to happen. But I am like a super weird controlling guy who lives this really sort of seemingly rigid lifestyle and I have all this health food and all this shit that I'm into. There's like not that many people that are into it to the degree that I am. And I'm like a night person, but I can't sleep in and I need a lot of sleep. Like, just I don't really like watching TV. So in terms of the idiosyncrasies and the things like, you know, Nick's a big outdoors guy, mm-hmm. right? And you weren't. In that wet cement year, what are the things that that you can bend on and what are the things that you can't bend on? Like in that period of flexibility, how do you determine what preferences you can let go of and be flexible on and what ones you can't? I think you determine which ones are important to you. And like you said, things like morals, values, do you want kids? Um, how you deal with money was a really big one for the two of us. And we talked about that very early on. Like do your styles of spending match up do you neither of us really believe in debt we're both I'm like the cheapest person on the planet and I'm totally cool with admitting that good um, for you I'm be, be my mentor please I'm trying to learn that. <laughs> I'm trying to learn that so neither of us are big spenders we're big savers we believe in investing things like that but that's yeah. huge because money can make or break a marriage I mean it really can it's the number one thing that most couples fight about and so I've heard that figuring yeah. figuring that out early on and then you figure the little things out that you can bend on. I now do like going outdoors and camping, but I'm not going to go on a five day hiking trip probably ever again in my entire life. Um, oh, yeah, I'm with you there. Nightmare. Yeah, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm, but I'm like, I'm yeah. shipping Nick off on a man baby moon three weeks before I give birth to go kayaking around the Channel Islands with his, with his dude friends. And so you figure out that I'm more of an introvert. Like I like to be alone. I like things to be yeah. quiet. And you figure out how to make those little things work. And I think you can be more pliable on those little things. If you have the big things in place, the morals, values, thoughts about the future, children, money, thoughts about how we're going to take care of our parents and our extended family. Another huge one that I've seen a lot of couples break up over is, do you want to live in a city versus living in the suburbs? Right. They don't have that. I, they don't have that conversation ahead of time, and it's a big issue for a lot of people. It's a big issue for Nick and I. But neither of us ever want to leave a city area. We know that, and it's part of the reason that I think our future trajectories match up so well. But right. also, reporting this book, we had to talk about all of those things, and being in a long distance relationship, we talked about all of those things uh, right. before we even got engaged. So that's kind of. That that's the interesting thing about the the long distance correlation is <laughs> like chemistry can't really take over and make no. you that stupid when you're not together. No, exactly. You know, when when you meet someone and you have like a highly sexually charged relationship and you have chemistry and there's all these pheromones and you just to me it's like getting in a boxing ring with like your fucking hormones and you just get stupid and I find myself going along with things that I shouldn't be going along with and ignoring some of those like red flags or just, not red flags, but just differences in goals and dreams and, you know, values and things like that. But when you, when you are long distance, it's like, you know, you can only do FaceTime sex so many times. Eventually, like you're going to have to have a conversation. Eventually you have to talk to the person. About real, yeah, about real life and what's important to you. And hey, do you envision yourself living in a city as an older person? Or do you, Mm -hmm. do you want to get a country home and like live in both places? Or do you want to get the fuck out of the city in the next three years? And 
something that's that's come up for me is just you know, looking at the idea of having kids, it's occurred to me since I'm so into like alternative medicine and natural living. I mean, I don't, I don't think I could be with a woman that wanted to have a kid and have the birthing process be a totally traditional hospital, fluorescent light, drug, C-section, crazy, um, you know, um, vaccine, circumcision. Like I'm just not on board with the whole way babies are traumatized. I'm not putting any of this on you. I know you're about to have a baby. <laughs> just for me, like I want to like get a, a doula and have the baby born in a fucking kiddie pool out in the woods. <laughs> like, you know, I have a very extreme like desire to have that happen naturally just to increase the chances of that baby being successful in life and having a more holistic, natural experience. But I might be dating someone that's like in med school and they're like, uh, no, I'm not into dying out in some kiddie pool with a, with a hippie she's midwife. Like, she's like, like it's no, coming I'm out of my vagina. Yeah, it's like, yeah, this is my body, dude. So you can't tell me how to do it and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I think those conversations in, in the remote relationship do kind of come up more than they would because you can't just like feed off of the fun and the newness and no. the chemistry because you have to actually like get to know one another and have real talks. And that's why it's a lot like an arranged marriage in some ways, because when you have an arranged marriage, you have the parents taking all these things into consideration. They know you right. so well. I mean, the ads that Indian families will take out to try to get their son or daughter married are so extensive. It's like height, weight, preferences, wants to live in the city. This is what they make. This is what they do. This is their religion. These are their morals. They lay it all out on the table and they have these long discussions about it. And I, I do think that expectations play a role in it, but I also think that arranged marriage can help come up with a better match because we're not just playing off our pheromones and our sexual attraction. We're actually playing off the things that make a long-term relationship work. And Let's be honest, long-term relationship is weird and strange, and there's a reason that most animals are not monogamous. And being with another person, with another being, forever is a little bit of insanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so, okay, good. So on that note, let's, let's get into some of the different cultural belief systems and things like that. Let's take a moment for a brief intermission to tell you an exciting announcement at LukeStory.com. I now have a store. It's called The Master Market, and you can find that at LukeStory.com forward slash store. This is a one-page hub categorized into all of my favorite recommendations. So whether it be a spiritual book, smart drugs to improve your focus, some supplements, the best drinking water, how to optimize your bedroom, your sleep, travel, jet lag, biohacking technology, healthy cookware everything you need to improve your life based on my 20 years of research. So you're not going to have to go out there and find the best stuff on your own. I've put it all at lukestory.com forward slash store. Now here's what's cool about it. When you go to my market, I don't actually sell anything. I just provide links to all of my favorite stuff. What's rad for you though, is that you're going to get a discount on most of those products from between five and 20%, which is awesome. So you'll find things on my site. They're going to link out to the master site of whoever it is that sells that stuff. You enter a code and get a discount. So that's where you win. The brand wins because you find them and you become a customer of that brand. I win because I have affiliate uh, relationships with those brands and get a small commission for every purchase. So it's a great three-way win. You win with a discount, the brand wins with the sale, and I win with some support for the podcast. So I don't have to pay for this whole damn thing myself. 
So again, go to lukestory.com forward slash store to enjoy the master market. And please keep checking back and bookmark that page on my site because I'm going to be adding products to it every week as I make new discoveries and also just input old stuff that I've known about forever. So check it out. So let's start with the arranged marriage because I think people have heard that, but like what you just told me of putting an ad, I'm like, put an ad out. I thought it was like two families know each other. And like, how does that even work in any of the arranged marriage? What's the protocol there if you have kids and you want them to end up in a good relationship according well, to your will? <laughs> well, there, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways. Sometimes it okay. is the fact that, oh, this family knows this family and we have kids that we think are going to be a good match. And let's, let's have this conversation and see if they match up. But it's not that simple at all. And the parents create this entire dossier on their child. And then they'll put it out first into their community saying, hey, I have a child that, and not a child, they're a grown up at this point. They're in their, <laughs> yeah, right, they're right. in their 20s. They've already gone to college. They've gone to grad school. I have this child and I, I want to find a match for them. Other parents will submit their dossiers. They'll see if the dossier matches up. They'll have a meeting. They'll bring the kids together to have a meeting. Uh, it's a very long and involved process to make sure, one, that the families are a good match. Because in India, you're not just marrying a person, you're marrying their family. And in a lot of cultures that we spoke to, that was also the case. I mean, Americans are one of the only places where marriage takes place in kind of a bubble, where you don't spend as much time getting to know the other person's family and community. And that, I think, really does contribute to a successful marriage. I know we're bummed because we both live thousands of miles from our families. I'm not around any of my friends anymore. It's a constant conversation to say, hey, should we move back to the East Coast where we would have a bigger support system? Because what we found is that having a bigger support system, having a bigger community to support a marriage actually does help contribute to a happier marriage. God, I'm, I'm, I'm so sure it does. I mean, this is something I've been looking at a lot. I recently had a friend of mine named Daniel Vitalis on my show, and he's he's really into our ancestry and rewilding and indigenous cultures and just, mm-hmm. you know, how some of the things we're missing in our current way of life. And one of the main themes there, I mean, aside from just our physical health deteriorating because we're eating Cheerios and shit, but um, is that sense of community and connection. And the more that I learn about that, the more that I see that in my life. And I'm like, God, I think my whole life I've had this sense of um, existential isolation and loneliness. I mean, it's like ever since I was a kid, I felt like that because there's been a lack of community and a lack of closeness and family. It just wasn't there. And so I'm sort of used to it in one way, but imagine that when you're isolated with in a coupleship, right? Yeah. And you both are in your situation as being, you know, not really having a strong community in the city you're living, and you're kind of just like it's like I picture you and Nick in a in a rowboat out at sea, kind of like uh, weathering the storms together without you know your crew, without your that that and family think, unit of support. I think that's what American marriage is like a lot of times. So many of us move away from our families or we're estranged from our families, or we're just not that close um, because we don't put as big a value on community as a lot of other cultures, even other evolved first world cultures do. And I saw that, I really saw that in absolutely every other culture that I was with. And I think a lot about it now too, having a baby. So we were with this Samburu tribe in Kenya. And this woman says to me, she's like, 
There's little kids running all over the place. They're jumping on every woman. You can't tell who belongs to who. It doesn't matter. Right. And she said, right. all the kids call us mama. They call all wow. of us mama. Wow. And then I'm thinking about the $3,000 a month daycare here in San Francisco, <laughs> where you drop your child off with strangers and ha- then hand them half your salary. And it's not just having that physical support, but the emotional support to say, hey, did you go through this before me in your marriage? And what was this like? And having people there to show you the path of what this looks like. I got one of the reasons I wrote this book is I wasn't getting any good marriage advice. Everyone wanted to talk to me about the wedding. They're like, what's your dress look like? What do the flowers look like? What kind of food are we going to eat? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but no one talked. And that was a day. It was eight hours of my life. And, right. But no one talked to me about what the next 80 years are supposed to look like. Right. Um, no one said, this is how you actually make this work. And in other cultures, they do. In other cultures, it's not taboo to say, this is, this is how you take care of and nurture a marriage. I'm thinking about uh, a trip I had years ago. It must have been like in 2004 to India and, and also just other countries too, Thailand, um, Brazil, different places I've been. And you can see the sense of family connection and just the way even friends relate to each other. And it's, it's, like, it's like with my friend James that I was describing. I'm so far removed from what a natural human should experience in terms of that connection and that community that it actually looks weird to me when people have that kind of support, you know, in another culture. And it's like, I wonder how did that, what is it with America? Like, you know, there's a lot of theories about that being done on purpose and a dissolution of the family unit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to get off on a total conspiracy, but the CIA may have been involved. There's a lot of crazy shit that happened to kind of encourage us to break apart as a, as a culture. But it's just, I don't know, it's fascinating to be here now and go, well, how can I build that then? So if that's not part of my inherent culture, how can I create that with my friends and, and how can I really build a sense of community? And I think for me, one of the ways I'm doing that is by having this podcast. It's and true. it's like yeah. that community is coming together through social media with like-minded people that share the same interests and values. And, and my, my goal really is to, in the future, create that in more of a real space where I have retreats or events or something where we can actually get together and, and, and know each other on a more intimate level and create that sort of system of support. I think that's how but you're going to find your wife, Luke. Yeah, yeah, well, who knows? I might have already done it. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling quite optimistic about the prospect of marriage and the possibility of that actually going well. I think many of us have a somewhat pessimistic view of this seemingly archaic tradition in many ways, and it was really refreshing to be able to get a guest like Joe on and talk about the idea of marriage in a totally positive light, and at the same time be realistic about it. It was really funny. Like, I love this girl. Her book is amazing. You got to go get it. If you're a reader, it's definitely an easy read. And it was also just a really fun interview for me to do. So don't forget that this was only the first part in a two-part interview series with Joe. So tune in this Friday to catch part two. And by all means, if you're married or thinking about marrying someone, do yourself and them a favor and forward this particular episode to them. You'd be doing you and the whole world a big favor. Did you dig that episode or what? I know I did. Well, check it out. If you want them to keep coming every week and ensure that the quality not only remains the same, but continues to improve, you can go to lukestory.com forward slash support and offer a small one-time or even a monthly pledge to help fund this podcast. Again, go to lukestory.com forward slash support 
Anything you can contribute would be greatly appreciated.